On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, much of the news agenda this week has been dominated by those tragic events in the waters of Greece. Uh, a boat carrying an estimated 750 asylum seekers, including up to 100 children, sinking in waters off Greece. The boat had been moving from Libya and been trying to make its way to Italy. There have been some question marks raised around the actions of the Greek authorities and whether they could have done more to try and avert so many people from reaching what is now their their certain death. At least 100 people are known to have died, but given the sheer volume of people that were on the boat, the true death toll is likely to be far higher. Now, today for On The Record, we spoke to Sally Hayden, who is the author of a book called My Fourth Time We Drowned, Seeking Refuge on the World's Deadliest Migration Route. Uh, She's also the Africa correspondent for the Irish Times. She has been writing about what is the world's most dangerous humanitarian journey for quite a long time. This week in the Irish Times, she wrote a piece under the headline of how all of this had become so normalised, asking herself how that had happened. I started the interview by asking her how exactly she believed it had become normalised in recent years. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something that I'm asking really the last few days. It's something that I'm asking now for years. And actually that piece in the Irish Times, I I wrote pretty much a version a few months ago when there was another massive shipwreck. Um, Yeah, it's completely horrific. And I think we need to keep reminding people of the actual scale of the overall death toll. Since 2014, more than 27,000 people have died or gone missing in the Mediterranean Sea trying to reach Europe. And that's said to likely be an underestimate because people are going missing without even being documented. Um, Yeah, how has that been normalized? That's a question that I've been asking myself for years, like I said, and I've wondered as well as a journalist, have I played a role in that? You know, when we put, for example, migrants in the headline, is that kind of a way of allowing a reader to switch off and go, you know, kind of disconnect from the fact that these are people like us, you know, people with families, with hopes, dreams, people who are going to be mourned. Um, And yeah, uh, on top of that, like not to overly plug my book, but I do think that there are systems that are being set up that separate people making these journeys from the rest of us and stop us from hearing their voices. And yeah, listeners can read it to get more information on that. Well, on that note, because it does seem like a very salient point, given what we've been discussing this week. Do you you want to give us a, a little insight into the sort of systems that you believe are being set up to create this distinction in people's minds? Yeah, I mean... So basically, I started reporting on this quite extensively in 2018, sorry, 2018, um, focused on the central Mediterranean, which is known as the deadliest migration route in the world. But I uh, began getting messages from people who were inside Libyan migrant detention centers, and they basically had tried to cross the sea to get to Europe and had been intercepted, um, you know, through EU policy effectively forced back to Libya and locked up indefinitely and they were prohibited from having phones you know they were like even communicating was very very difficult and very very dangerous and for me like getting those first messages and suddenly like being in communication with people who are being impacted by the kind of you know what people call fortress Europe now the increasingly hardening uh, anti-migration policies that really made me realize that we're not hearing the voices of people making these journeys certainly not enough and you know that that yeah there's you know 
I don't know, there's, there's like a lot of systems in place, like when we hear sound bites from politicians, when we even hear press releases from the UN and others, they might not actually be totally accurate as to portraying the situation mm. and that is going on. Uh, this is maybe get, getting a little bit into the weeds, but just th- those people that you mentioned there, if they're in Libyan um, detention centres, are they effectively being punished for trying to flee in the first place? Yeah, so what we have since 2017 is EU policy that... Um, it's kind of a circumnavigation of international law. So responding to what they saw as kind of the general European public's desire not to have any more migration to Europe or to very much limited. Um, there's been a lot of very harsh policies that have been enacted that are basically trying to securitize borders and make it very, very difficult for people to cross them. And one of those is in the central Mediterranean um, basically, the EU conducts surveillance, so flies, helicopters, planes, drones, and spots refugee boats, but then also supports the Libyan Coast Guard to intercept those boats and force people back to Libya. And there, they're generally locked up indefinitely. Okay. And that's, that's a circumnavigation of international law because European vessels would not be able to return people to Libya. And, and that's been, you know, the ICC prosecutor, among others, an independent UN fact-finding mission has said that um, this is leading to crimes against humanity against refugees and migrants. Um, you, you've probably answered the, the next question I was going to ask you because the EU and a spokesperson for the Commission was only even say, still saying this week that the EU tries to deal with all of this by addressing the root causes, by trying to stabilise the countries that people are fleeing from. It doesn't sound like you have much faith in that as an approach. Yeah, I mean, so... so Basically, like, and, and this is kind of, again, where it's important to be questioning the sound bites that you hear when there's a tragedy, like what has happened this week, we hear, um, you know, European politicians come out and say, we need to fight the business model of smugglers or traffickers. But actually, like, we have a global inequality crisis where a large proportion of the world's population have no way to travel legally. They can't get visas. They can't get on planes. This is the only way that they can get to a safe or secure location. And what we've seen over the past, like since 2015, there's what's called the EU Trust Fund for Africa, which is a multi-billion euro pot of money that's being spent to effectively try and stop migration from Africa. And my reporting certainly has shown that like some of that money is actually emboldening systems that are oppressing people. It's propping up dictatorships, propping up militias, um, you know, emboldening warlords. And we have a, you know, that, that part of money, there's not proper oversight on how it's being spent. And I don't think most of the European public are even really aware of mm. it. Um, or it, certainly the questions aren't being asked. And like one big example of, you know, how things may have gone wrong. And of course, we need a lot more investigation. And, you know, I'm just one journalist, so it's like mm. a, a lot to cover. But like um, in Sudan, the RSF, the paramilitary group that are fighting now, are said to have at least indirectly benefited from the kind of scale of EU funding that was coming in to stop migration. They were charged with um, guarding the borders. And now, as we can see, the war has broken out between the RSF and the Sudanese army. And that's, you know, Sudanese people tell me all the time that's because the RSF have been emboldened. They've, they've been made more powerful. Mm. So do you have this situation where the EU says it's trying to deal with the root causes, but ultimately what it's doing is subsidising the very governments that people are trying to run away from, which doesn't really sound like it's it makes much sense. Um, I know. Yeah, and, Sal- and, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, and, and even this week to just say like a new... 
um, funding deal for Tunisia has been announced, a 1 billion uh, euro amount of funding, which again is said to be linked to trying to stop migration from Tunisia. And I was speaking to the son of a political prisoner there. Um, the president there is increasingly authoritarian, said to be cracking down on opposition. He's also kind of provoked a wave of violence against black Africans. And, and that's, you know, again, the partner that the EU is choosing to, mm. to fund. Um, I know that your your primary concern is is as Africa correspondent, so you don't deal much with the the geopolitics of what's going on on the other side of the Mediterranean. But one thing that has been raised this week is the question of whether the Greek Coast Guard is almost deliberately ignoring uh, boats in distress that are coming through its waters because they fear that if they brought those boats to safety, then those on board would merely claim asylum in Greece and it would undermine the whole point. Yeah, I mean, I think specifically regarding this shipwreck, there's an investigation to be done and there's kind of contrasting information coming out. Like, for example, did the Greek authorities actually um, tie a rope around the ship or something like this? Like, were they actually actively involved in it capsizing by accident, presumably, or whether they were less active? And I guess we're going to find that out in the coming days or weeks. Um, But yeah, in terms of the Greek Coast Guard more generally, they have been accused of Gabbard yeah, not responding, but also of like actively trying to keep people away. So conducting violent pushbacks, um, you know, disabling engines, leaving people to sail it, to float in the sea in lifeboats. Um, and yeah, there was a good New York Times investigation recently, which people can look at where actually this happening was captured on camera. And they, they managed to track down the people who were involved in it. And that was you know, said to be an illegal pushback. Um, it's remarkable stuff. Uh, really appreciate your insight on all of that, Sally. Sally Hayden is the author of My Fourth Time We Drowned, Seeking Refuge on the World's Deadliest Migration Route. And she's also Africa correspondent for the Irish Times. Sally, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.